This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Again, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to be walking verses 1 through 5 this morning. And as we do, I hope uh, that we will all um, submit to this journey. And really the question is, are we on a journey towards restoration or a journey towards destruction in our life? In our, and often as we've talked about our thought life and our actions and our hearts and all those different things play a role into how we and where we are headed um, into destruction or restoration. Um, so as we pray uh, in our lives, we pray uh, uh, that God would lead us on the path of restoration and that we would not um, find this path of destruction. And so what we have to do as Christians is we have to um, see, are we, if we are on this path towards restoration, how are we viewing this path towards uh, destruction? And specifically inside of the church, what does it look like for us to lead others onto the path of restoration from this path of destruction? The problem is that oftentimes in our lives when we have a false view, uh, when we've distorted the view of, of, of restoration, uh, we won't call people into restoration. You see, sometimes what we do is we distort it into, okay, if, I'm, uh, this, if it's prideful, it's I'm greater than this, this, uh, this person. And so, um, man, look at me, I'm on this path, and they're not. Look at what they do, right? Um, and so on the path of restoration, what we're doing is we're inviting people into what God has invited us into. We're calling people to join us in what God has called us into, we have to be careful that the way we view others is not, um, as we've talked about throughout this series, it's not, look at what God has done, um, uh, uh, sorry, look at what I've done in my life, but rather it's look at what God has done in my life, and He can do it for you too. So we have to be clear with how we view restoration in our lives. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the effects of losing sight of our restoration and losing sight of our calling to restore others. Over the past few weeks, We've looked at how, to, uh, how God redeems us, how God reconciles us, and today I want to look at how God restores us. When two, uh, are, or two people are, uh, the relationship is severed, when uh, separation happens, when you have one person here and one person here, uh, there needs, reconciliation needs to take place. That's what we talked about last week. But God does not desire a, a relationship with you that is just simply reconciled. There's restoration that takes place. You can reconcile with people. You can um, bring back a relationship with somebody, but not restore it back into the health that it once was or not restore it into the health that it ought to be. And so we are in the ministry of, re- of, uh, of redeeming. We're in the ministry of reconciling back to God. And we're in the ministry of restoring. And the beauty of this whole process is that we have seen this for the past few months in the way that Jesus interacted with saints, sinners, and the sick, in the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples and us personally, but now also in the way that we interact with the church and with the world. So how are you participating in restoring the church and the world to God? Not just reconciling and bringing them back, but the restoration process, which is often so much more difficult than the redemption and the reconciliation. It can be so 
hard to restore people from sin into what God has for them. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. Read it with me. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Have, uh, does anybody, like when they go on a road trip um, or like late at night, you got work to do, uh, you choose sunflower seeds or maybe a hot mint like a fireball? Uh, or gum. Anybody with me? Yeah? A couple of you? Okay. Man, these things keep me awake, right? Like a fireball, it, try to go to sleep with a fireball in your mouth. It's near impossible. Actually, don't try to do that. <laughs> that, was, that was a bad idea. Uh, you did not hear that from Westminster Baptist Church. Um, no, I'm, I'm serious. That, like, they help you stay awake, right? Uh, a couple days ago, I was working on some things. It was late at night, and uh, cough drops work for me too. Uh, they keep me awake. Um, so I had a cough drop in, I was working, and all of a sudden I fell asleep. 3.30 in the morning, I wake up, and there's a cough drop just stuck to the top of my mouth, right? Like, I'm like, what is happening? Things are changing in my life. Uh, things change, right? I, I like pickles and um, uh, buffalo sauce and blue cheese. I've never liked pickles, buffalo sauce, and blue cheese. Like, I used to despise these things as foods, but our taste buds change. Anybody had taste buds change? right? Throughout your life, you're like, why in the world do I like this now? I used to hate this thing. I still don't like olives. I'm still not there, okay? One day, I may repent in front of you guys because I like olives. Uh, So yeah, taste buds change. Things change. Here's what we have to be careful of, though. In your life, things are going to change, sometimes slowly, sometimes rapidly. But we have to be careful what we allow to change. Over time, we have to be careful what we are allowed to change. Look at verse 1 of Galatians 6. It says, if someone is overtaken any wrongdoing. Now, this phrase, overtaken any, any wrongdoing, is uh, what it essentially means is this, is sometimes people d- don't realize that they got caught up in sin, and all of a sudden they're caught up in it, and they're like, how did I get here? Okay, the way that that reads, it is somebody who is in the church, brothers and sisters, if anybody is in the church, all of a sudden is overtaken by sin, and you're like, how did I get here? What led me to this place? If anyone is in that place, you who are spiritual. Now, I love that phrase because my first point for you is this, restoration is a heart matter. It says, if anyone is spiritual. Now, when you think about restoration being a heart matter, we've talked about it for the past few months, right? Someone who is in sin uh, ought to uh, refocus their hearts, right? So we think about hearts. we got to think different, believe different, act different. Those things, God is working in our lives constantly. So we need a different heart when we're stuck in sin. But have you ever thought about it from the other side? Those who are restoring need a heart change. This is a heart matter. Why? Because in, ver- uh, in verse 1 it says, uh, You who are spiritual restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Now, when it says spiritual, it's referencing back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you read through those, you you see like that you can feel that's just the gentle spirit. In Philippians 2, it says that we should embody the attitude of Christ, which is humility. 
And all of a sudden we see Christ as the gentle, meek Savior who has come to redeem and restore and reconcile the world to his Father. We see all these things bringing glory to the Father through the Son, and then all of a sudden he's given us the responsibility to now go be the ministers of restoration in the world. And so we have to look at ourselves and go, okay, this is not just a heart change from sin, but it's a heart change when we go to those who are stuck in sin. And now, as we go to those who are stuck in sin, we have a gentle spirit. It says, uh, blessed are those who are, have this meekness, gentleness. It, it tells us in, um, in James 3, verse 13, to have wisdom that is gentle. So have you ever thought about when you're going to those who are stuck in sin and struggling? It could be your kid, it could be a friend, a brother and sister, a family member, a parent, it could be a coworker, whoever it is. Have you thought in your mind, okay, I have wisdom from above, from God. I have restoration from God. I have salvation from God. I have all these things that I want this person to understand and receive and know because I have known them and they are good. And I want this for this person. But when we give uh, uh, um, rebuke or we give um, this uh, truth, when we speak truth, do we speak it in love and do we speak it in gentleness? And do we speak it in a way that draws people through the kindness of God and the grace and mercy of God? Or do we speak it with a harshness, which is sharp uh, hostility? Do we speak it in a way that pushes people away and rejects people or draws people near to the heart of Christ in gentleness and restoration through humility, peace, patience, love, joy? Now, it's a heart matter. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5 says, Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter of your brother's eye. We saw this earlier in this series. Um, It's a process. It's a heart thing. We're looking at people through the lens of Christ. We've seen this as well. But in Galatians 6, 4, it says, it's just an interesting phrase. It says, let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone. That is a difficult passage to understand. Look at uh, chapter 5, verse 26. It says, let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another. And then, only a couple of verses later, it says you can take pride. In what? Right? That's, that's difficult to understand because it's like, Paul, what are you doing? You seem, you seem to be saying two things here. What are we supposed to take pride in? But it comes when we understand what Paul is telling us to take pride in or to take confidence. And maybe a better understanding is to what would we root our understanding of ourselves in? Uh, pride is, a, is, is taken as a kind of negative connotation in English. So let's think about it this way. What do we root our confidence in? What defines who we are? And, and what Paul is telling you to do is not to view others in a comparative manner. Not compare your with other, yourself with others to find your identity, but to compare yourself with where you were and where God has led you. So that now we root our, our growth, we root where we are in what Christ has done in our life, not in how we compare to another person. Because that can be difficult. We might look at some other people and say, man, they are so far along in their spiritual journey or emotional journey or uh, business ventures or physical uh, uh, attempts to, to grow in different ways or emotional uh, attempts to grow in different ways. You may be going, man, I wish I could grow like them. I wish I was as strong as them. But see, that's comparing yourself with somebody else. And what Christ is not calling you to compare yourself with somebody else, he wants you to look at what God has already done in your life to bring you to the point where you are today so you can rightly see what God has done, not compare yourself and be jealous or frustrated with where somebody else is. And so that's what we root our identity in, is knowing what Christ has done in our life. And so now we don't take pride in, um, in uh, what we are in comparison to other, in, in, in another person. Look at verse 4. It says, and then he can take pride in himself alone, and it continues. 
and not compare himself with somebody else. So there's the key. Verse 26, we're not to be conceited, but it's in comparison. And the reason this helps so much is because it's, if restoration is a heart matter, then we need to understand that our hearts can become jealous. Our hearts can become prideful. And when our hearts do that, it's really hard to carry one another's burdens. We struggle to carry one another's burdens when we are looking at other people in jealousy and in pride. And so it starts with our hearts. If you're going to take, uh, if you're going to help people overcoming sin, then you have to help people understand what, what can overcome sin. And that is Christ in your life, and that's Christ in their life. So we have to let go of our pride in our abilities to overcome in comparison to others, and we have to take up our confidence in Christ overcoming sin in our own lives. The, one of the best ways I see this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. So Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians, and he also wrote Galatians. So same writer, and so it kind of helps us to understand how we can do this. How can we take pride or have this right understanding of who we are in our own work? Uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen ten says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. So hear it again. I'm going to say it slower. This is how you take confidence in what God has done in your life. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, to me, was not without effect. Now you can hear how that's a little bit different when you're engaging with other people. You don't say, okay, come on, you can do this, pick it up. I did it. Or, God, why am I not where they are? I want to I do what they do. I want to be as far along in this process as they are. I want the freedom that they have. I want, I want what they have in relationships. I want all these different things that they have. But rather we should say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. Because he's part, we are in the journey of restoration, not in the journey of destruction. And everyone is in a different place. And it's not our responsibility to be jealous of where another person is, but rather to be content with where God has you and where God is leading you. And my second... And the second point I want you to see from this passage is the fruit of the Spirit restores from the works of the flesh. Man, it's so, it's so cool. Because when you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, you're going to see the works of the flesh compared to the fruit of the Spirit, right? And a lot of times what we do is we kind of separate those two out. And we go, okay, you can either do the works of the flesh or you can do the fruit of the Spirit. But what, what Paul wants us to see in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5, is that it's actually the fruit of the Spirit that overcomes the works of the flesh. Um, in verse 1, it's gentleness that is going to lead people and draw people out of being overtaken by sin or any wrongdoing. But do you notice this phrase where it says, you who are spiritual? And like I've said, spiritual people uh, are the ones who are going to the people who are in the works of the flesh. So we might could say it like this. Spiritual people are going to fleshly people and restoring. Not through their own strength and might, I understand. Through the power of Christ. Like we have to keep that in our minds, focused on this. Spiritual people are drawing fleshly people back to the fruit of the Spirit. Back to Christ and restoration. So we don't think about it like uh, there's this division, but rather there's this calling. And if we think about it as dividing, then we're all of a sudden start going, okay, we're two different people. And um, maybe in this group, we got, start to get this pride, which is what was happening in the church at Galatia when Paul wrote this to them. 
they had received the Spirit. And so they're like, man, we got the spiritual gifts. Uh, we have the fruit of the Spirit. Everybody loves what we're doing. There's miracles being performed, and there's uh, the people love our, uh, our attitudes and all these different things. And so the church at Galatia starts to get a little puffed up, a little prideful. They're like, look at what all we can do because the Spirit is in us. And Paul writes back to him, and he's like, hey, look, the Spirit was never given to you so that you could be prideful. The Spirit was given to you so that you could go and restore others. So the fruit of the Spirit restores from the works of the flesh. It's why he says, you who are spiritual, fruit of the Spirit. You who are spiritual, who are gentle, because gentle comes from the fruit of the Spirit, right? So have you ever thought through, like, the, God has given you a Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit to restore others into the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit? Let him work in your life with that love, joy, peace, patience. Let him work in that life, that, that gift that he has given you, whatever it is, to help other people be restored to Christ. And the third thing I want you to see in this passage is that restoration is a form of spiritual rehabilitation. Because you might go, okay, well, what is restoration? What are we talking about when we say restoration? Well, it's kind of like if I was going to use human terms to help us understand this, as Jesus and Paul would do. Um, it would be like somebody who is hurt physically. Uh, they may find out what's wrong with them, and then they're going to go to a physical therapist to get help, right? My brother-in-law's here. He is, manages a physical therapy. He knows what this process looks like, and he's helped me multiple times uh, to overcome some physical pains. When you, go, when you are hurt, you go to somebody for help, right? Uh, when you uh, need help, you reach out and find what is needed. Restoration should happen for spiritual life, too. Restoration should be a process that, we're, that is common for us. Like it's, it's part, built into the Christian process. But here's what I hear so often in the church. And I'm not talking about any one person in specific, specifically because I hear this a lot. Okay? Okay? I don't have anybody in mind. All right? I have to always say that. But I have heard this, you know, right? It's like, well, I don't want to have, I don't want to share with anyone my struggles, I don't want to share with anybody my sin. Like, I don't want to get in the context of a small group or a D group or anything that is, that is going to ask me what's going on in my life. I don't want to have to deal with that stuff. Well, think about what that does. First of all, it robs people of being able to restore, which is their God-given calling in Christ Jesus to be restoring those who are stuck in sin. And now we're not sharing what's going on and preventing them to do what God has called them to do, which verse 2 says uh, to restore is to fulfill the law of Christ, right? Look at verse 2. It says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If we're not carrying each other's burdens, then we're not fulfilling the law of Christ, and we're robbing each other of using our spiritual gifts and our fruit of the Spirit to be able to restore each other. So it's actually a calling for us to be in the context of a smaller group of people uh, giving over our sin struggles so that we can be restored by someone who is spiritual, has the spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit to restore us out of the works of the flesh. Like, this is their biblical calling. Don't reject this. So when I hear that, I think that's, for, that's uh, chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited. That's putting us in a place where we go, I'm good, I don't need help. Man, that, that's not what Christ has called us to do. Even, like, maybe even worse than that would be this idea. Like, Christ came into a wicked generation. We've talked about this very beginning of this series, how wicked their generation was. Like, you compare our culture to their culture, and you see such similarities. Like, if you're looking at our culture and going, this is wicked, just remember, Christ came into that culture to save, right? To the unhealthy, not the healthy. Those sick ones. To those who are sick, sinners. That's who Christ came for, right? 
And so Christ came into the midst of that, and he comes up to those people who are maybe like stuck in adultery, uh, drunkenness, murderers, uh, tax collectors who were wicked in many different ways. They, he came to all these different people, those who were furthest from Christ, and he comes to them with the grace and mercy uh, of the Father. But what if they responded like this? Nah, I don't want that freedom and forgiveness. Like, I, Jesus, I understand, but I don't, I don't want that. I don't want your help. I don't want to be restored. I don't want to come out of this. Well, we got to be careful because didn't Christ call us as the church now to be, to the, be the ones who are going to bring restoration to the world? It says in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, that we are, ought to restore brothers and sisters uh, into uh, healthy life, into the fruit of the Spirit, right? So if we're supposed to do that, now we're going out and doing that. Uh, if you reject uh, that restoration process with Christ, Christ comes to you and you reject that restoration process with Christ or others, it's like a slap in Jesus' face, like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need that, Christ. And I know the reality is that, that the majority of people probably want restoration. I bet, I would, I would imagine there is a significant amount of people in this room who are just struggling. And, and you don't want to talk about it, especially in a big stage like this. You don't want to share it openly. But the church is supposed to be the place where restoration happens. It's supposed to be the place where we carry one another's burdens. I, I honestly feel like, and this is, I, this is totally off the cuff. I don't know if the, Lord, if the Lord's just given me this, but um, Pastor Glenn, I think you could uh, agree with me on this. Pastor Glenn's right back there. Um, I think what happens most of the time is and it kind of makes you sad, is, is people wait till they're completely broken to reach out for help. Like you're to the point where there's like no return back. We shouldn't do that with our physical lives, but we also shouldn't do that with our spiritual lives. We need help. Um, I, I think, you know, the reality is, I think, Glenn, you probably affirm this, is the majority of time when people come it's because they're, uh, uh, they're ashamed of sharing what's going on in their life. Guys, if there's anywhere in the world where you should be comfortable with sharing what sin struggle you have, it's like right here. Church isn't a place where you have to dress up and be pretty and all those different things. Like, If I get critique, the number one critique I get as a pastor is people don't like what I wear. And I'm like, praise the Lord. <laughs> like, let's go. Because if that's like the worst thing about me, I'm, I'm all in. Let's go. That's good. Um, because, look, the reality is, like, if the worst part about you is what you're wearing in here on the Sunday morning, like, let's, I'm, hey, let's talk. Let's grow. Let's go through this journey of restoration. I'm in on that. But we don't have to come in here and act like this is, like, you know, this is the place that we have to be perfect. This is the place where we are called in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, that if anybody is overtaken in sin, we have to restore them, not reject them. Restore them. Our ultimate, game, our ultimate goal in every single passage in Scripture is restoration, not rejection. In fact, you might would quote 1 Corinthians, because 1 Corinthians is the, like, the book about restoring somebody who's fallen into sin. But even at the end of it, when they've kicked the person out of the church because of the sin they were in, and they continued to struggle in it, and would not reject it, and were abusing and hurting their wife, uh, and, and separated from their wife, and just, it was a terrible action, right? And so they kick them out of the church because they are a bad witness to what the church is doing and they will not be restored. Even then, Paul says, his hope and desire is that person will be restored. 
our ultimate game goal in every single thing we do is restoration. Right? So if we're not allowing ourselves to be opened up and being honest with each other about our true sin struggles that are going on, how then will we be restored? I got a few things I think this passage says to us not to do. It's don't be prideful about your comparative holiness. Don't be prideful about your comparative holiness. I'm more holy than them, therefore I must be good. Don't be harsh about your correction. Don't fall into sin. We should be gentle. Like, don't be harsh, be gentle. Don't fall into sin. Be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't fall into sin. And do not compare. But what should we do? It says we should restore someone overtaken by sin, right? It says we should take pride or confidence or understanding of who we are in the work that Christ has done in us. And it says that we should have this gentle spirit. I'm taking those things out and trying to help us see them because I want to give you some really practical tips for restoration. Because if I, I think that there's, there's a good bit of people in this room who want restoration or want to help others find restoration. And if there are, I want to give you some really practical tips for this. Okay? Because in Galatians 6, 1-5, through 5, we saw that if we lose sight of our restoration, we will often compare ourselves with others in an unholy manner. And if we lose sight of our calling to restore others, then we will hold it to ourselves, which is selfish. And uh, Paul calls them, don't just have fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Go use them for God's glory. So what are some practical tips for restoration? And I'm going to be totally honest. Uh, I think my other two pastors, Pastor Bill and Pastor Glenn, uh, are probably uh, much better at this process than I am. Uh, specifically, I think Pastor Glenn and I would both say, Pastor Bill, as a uh, uh, biblical counselor, uh, is better at this process than I am and knows more about it. So I'd highly encourage you to talk to him. Out of the first service he told me, he said, Matt, uh, thanks, man. I just got a ton more work. <laughs> and I was like, that's right, buddy, putting you to work. You know, uh, I'm kidding. But no, he, he delights in it. Like, it is the joy of his heart. You can ask his family and him directly. He loves helping people find out how to be better counselors and they're like biblical counselors. He would correct me every time I say counselor. He wants you to be a better biblical counselor. All right. And so I'm going to give you some practical tips, but I'd also encourage you to reach out to Pastor Bill specifically if you're interested in any of these things. And so I'm going to give you some tips. Here it is. Um, First, listen. An open mouth is a closed ear, right? Just listen. Second, pray. God's word is better than ours. God's word is better than ours. As soon as we shift into thinking, I have what is right for them, we've missed it. No, you know the person who has what is right for them. You know Christ who is right for them. As soon as we start going, okay, look at what I've done, we started to become conceited and prideful, and we've done exactly the opposite of Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Instead, what we do is we pray because God's word is better than ours. And so we're asking that God would speak in those moments and give us wisdom. Because James chapter 3 verse 13 tells us this wisdom is supposed to be spoken in gentleness. And James chapter 1 tells us that all wisdom comes from above. And so we're praying God give us wisdom in these matters. So listen, because an open mouth is a closed ear. But a a closed mouth is an open ear. And we want to hear where people are to be able to understand where they are and where God has for them. So pray, God, where do you have for this individual? Offer hope, not in yourself, but in Christ. We can't offer any hope in us. Like when people come to me and like they need help, like, man, I am. Look, if you're looking at me and going, man, he's only 32 years old. I was 27 when I started here. 32 32 years old. What, What could he know about these things? Honestly, not a lot. 
but I know the one who knows everything. And I plead with him that he'll give me the wisdom to speak. So don't judge me based on my age or credentials especially. Being a doctor, having a doctorate does not mean anything. Having divine wisdom from above, that is something special. And you know what's cool about it? You might not have a doctorate in theology. You might not have been a pastor for 15 years. But you do have divine wisdom from above. Which makes each one of us ministers of reconciliation and restoration. So we're all in this together. So now we're praying God's word is better than ours. His word's better than mine. And, he, and we can offer hope in Jesus, not in ourselves. And then we give an accurate picture of what Christ has for them, not what we have for them. All of this is pointing towards Christ. This is biblical growth, right? We're pointing towards what Christ has for them and showing them that. And then finally, give practical next steps. But what do we like to do in American church world? Or just in American world, Right? Next steps. It's like somebody comes to you and they're like, man, here's what I'm struggling with. And you're like, oh, well, here's what I did. And you tell them what you did. They like, well, hold on. <laughs> we just shifted into what I did. No, what has Christ done is where we should start, right? I, I, I think sometimes we rush so fast to next steps that we miss what Christ is wanting to do in their life. Sometimes people are in a long process and we think that they can jump in the front and give some practical next steps. It's just going to speed up that process. Well, look, the process isn't yours. It's what Christ is doing in their life. So if you're going to start, start on your knees with Christ going, okay, what, what does this look like? What, what, where are we headed? Christ, show me the path for this individual. And look, this process of restoration, and look, I just gave you a few practical tips. There, are, there is so much to learn about this, so much good. I'm going to recommend some, uh, some resources for you. There's so much to learn about this. I'm giving you like a, scratching the surface, right? But... There are crisis situations where we need to reach out. Look, if you break a bone, you're going to go to the emergency room, most likely, right? Sometimes we have to go to crisis situations. You're doing maintenance, you're helping somebody along the way, and then there's a crisis and you have to reach out for expertise. I understand that. And so I want you to have that in your tool belt, because if I didn't say that, somebody might come back and say, well, Matt, not all things can be fixed this way. And I would agree with you. There are certain times where you have to have, in crisis moments, something special. This is what Paul needed, right, when he was blinded, and he goes and he gets restoration. And Ananias preaches the gospel to him, and he gets restoration. Sometimes we have crisis moments where we need to seek an individual out for God to intervene in a miraculous way, okay? In those crisis situations, here's what I would recommend, because you need a plethora of people to support you. Uh, In crisis situations, we look for pastors. We look for biblical counselors. We look for psychiatrists that are and, and you got to be really careful here, uh, but we look for psychiatrists who are Christ-centered in hopes. We look for emergency rooms and doctors. Sometimes those are what's needed, okay? The reality is there are certain things that as a pastor I cannot handle and deal with that I have to turn over to other experts, okay? Um, I, although I am a doctor, I can't perform surgery, right? Uh, there's just certain situations. I try to. Every now and then somebody's like, I've got this issue. I'm like, well, we can open it up. Let's go. I'm kidding. You're not going to do that. Uh, it would not be pretty. I don't think I could do a good job with that. Um, but anyway, anyways, uh, there's crisis situations where we need to look, for, look to experti- experts in those situations and help. And I'm not saying, look, here's the reality. Church, you have the wisdom from God. You have the calling from God. You are equipped with the gift of uh, the Spirit. Uh, you are equipped with the fruit of the Spirit. You are able to engage in the ministry of restoration. Don't doubt yourself in your calling and what God has called you to do. 
But God has raised up and given different gifts to different people to support the church at large. And we need to lean on each other in giftings within the church and the body of Christ to help each other in these situations. Sometimes there's a gift that one person has that this person who's stuck in sin needs. And we team up together and we work together. And we are one body. This is what Ephesians 4 says. We just need to work together to restore one another. What would it look like if churches around Carroll County and throughout the globe We're in the process of restoration. Ephesians 4 was in practice. We were humbly submitting to this restoration. Not rejecting it, not pushing it away, but humbly receiving restoration. Because once sin is out there, the restoration process begins, and it's not easy. It's hard. But I hope as a church, just as it's hard sometimes to go through physical therapy, it's hard to go through work and work hard and get new jobs. All these things are difficult. Sometimes the spiritual journey in overcoming sin is difficult. But it's good to know that the God of the universe is living in us. So I hope you will rest in that. I'm going to give you two gospel responses. Because look, this, is, this can only be a gospel response. Like no restoration happens outside of the strength and the blessing of God in our lives. Uh, Without Christ coming into the midst of our brokenness, living a perfect life in the midst of sin and wickedness, living the life we couldn't live, dying the death we couldn't die, and raising from the dead because we could not. And think about that. Don't just hear that, because I say that often, because I want you to hear the gospel presented every single Sunday. Christ lived the perfect life. If you want to figure out what it looks like to live the, the, the life that God has called you to live, look at Christ. Christ died a death that we could never die with sin upon his shoulders and then calls us to follow us, follow him in sacrificing the things of this world and taking up his journey of restoration. And then finally, he was raised from the dead so that we too could raise from the dead too. Everything was done by Christ. And I always want to continually point back to that in each one of these sermons. Even though we have a ministry of restoration and we have been restored, we are always pointing back to Christ and saying, thank you, God, for what you've done, and pointing others to Christ to say, he is the only one who can change your life too. So my first question for you today, this morning is, um, who do you think you are better than? And I really want you to wrestle with this. Like, just be thinking through this process, because I think it, it's important for a Christian to constantly be thinking, that, like, is there a group of people, a sin, uh, uh, somebody in the church who's stepped away from the church? Um, is there, uh, you know, a sister or a, a sibling, uh, sorry, a child or a parent, coworker, whatever? Is there somebody who's stepped away from the faith or is outside the church that you think you're better than, but yet Christ has actually called you to restore them? We've gotten conceited, we've gotten prideful, and we look at it and we go, man, I'm so much better than that. Or maybe like it's like little subtle things like, I'm so glad I don't do that. Or maybe it's like little subtle things like, you know, I, I present better than them. Like maybe you have a better looking Facebook or Instagram or whatever you have social media wise. Maybe you're like, man, everything in my life looks so much better than theirs. I'm good. That little subtle pride, right? But what if Christ has actually called you to them? Because the same God that can save you can save them. And the second thing I want you to do is uh, maybe just take some, some time to uh, go through some restoration training. Maybe you've never done, looked at biblical counseling or discipleship or um, how to restore somebody out of sin. You've never gone through that kind of training. Then find some. Uh, we have it available to you. Uh, you can, uh, we have resources for you if you're a reader. Uh, we have training for you. Um, 
through Pastor Bill, and we have uh, um, an online resource uh, as well through Right Now Media for counseling, counseling training. Now, I said, Bill, what's the best resource you have? What was the one resource that you would recommend our church read or engage in? And he said, this is it. David Pallison, Seeing With New Eyes. Seeing With New Eyes. So if you're interested, that's going to be a good next step, right? I want to give you practical next steps that you can actually do this week. And here's one of them. With your eyes on Christ, looking at the gospel, go into the ministry of restoration for a world that is lost and broken. I'm going to call the worship team up. And as they come, I urge you, think about who are those who have fallen away from the church? Who are those who were once walking uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, who now seem to be in the works of the flesh, who Christ has called you to go and restore? And if you're struggling and you're wrestling, that's okay. But don't give up. Seek out good resources. Put somebody around you that can encourage you. And let's go to battle on behalf of Christ for those who are fighting against sin, Satan, and death. Let's pray. God, you are good. We trust you. We worship you this morning. Father, we struggle. We admit that we struggle. Uh, We all have sin in our heart. We all struggle to restore in this world, but we trust you, God. We trust that you have a process. We trust that you are working. Uh, We trust that we are on a journey of restoration. And I pray, God, that you would help us to go to others who are lost and dying and broken. I pray, God, you would use us to redeem pray, God, you would use us in the ministry of reconciliation to bring back a relationship. And I pray, God, that you would use us in the ministry of restoration, that we would help others find a healthy spiritual life with you, pursuing after you in the way that you've called us to. God, would you grow us? Would you draw us near to you? We love you. We trust you in your son's name. Amen.
church. Remember, you're sitting in the midst of darkness to light it up. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see y'all next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us, and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.